Hello and welcome to the Railway Men podcast. As ever, we asked on Twitter for your thoughts on the two games this week and you didn't let us down. We had loads of responses and I'm going to try and whiz through as many as possible, starting with Tuesday's defeat to Lincoln. Andrew Copeland, David, Adam Turner, our very own Steve Dale and Max from Emma's Ground Guide all focused on Lincoln, saying they were well focused, stopped our midfield from playing and didn't give us anything in the crucial final third. Another of our contributors, Aaron Lewis, thought we were unlucky not to get the equaliser at the end. Richard Benson completely agreed with Adam Turner, saying we used plan B well in the final 20 minutes, but cautions, let's not forget the awful play before that. Phil went a little bit further, claiming that they were all sat in their hammocks relaxed after the Doncaster win, and Ant Copeland wants us to go back to the original 4-3-3 formation, rather than this tweak that Dave Artell has made. Moving on to Saturday then, lots of people commenting on how well crew played, Julie Warren saying they simply didn't deserve to lose. Tim Green and Aaron Lewis both on a similar theme that Ipswich should be very happy with the win as they were thoroughly outplayed and didn't deserve it at all. James chose to focus on some player performances saying NG was poor again and the subs Powell and Porter weren't up to it with Powell not at the races and Porter unfortunately looking past it at this level. Jack Edwards nice and succinctly saying typical crew, nothing more needs to be said. That does unfortunately make our podcast a bit redundant though Jack. I'll leave with Max, look into the future, saying if we play like that on Tuesday, we'll run all over Gillingham. Benji Diesel here. David Artel made several tactical mistakes yesterday. Ipswich allowed us a very high PPDA, which meant we had 56% of possession, very high. We also had 14 shots, 7 on target for an XG of 1.5. We should have used our good possession in the second half to make more aggressive attacking third entries by bringing on Zanzala as an oscillating Trek artista and by asking Ainley and Lowry to make fourth and fifth man runs through the gaps between the Tractor Boys, Anchorman and their Cornetto. And we should have had Kirk coming in off the left as a quivering falsetto to finish off some of our best movements. Thanks. Bye. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Railway Men podcast. Quite a disappointing week this week. Two defeats, no goals to talk about, but we were playing top and third, so it was always going to be a tough ask. We'll be looking back at those two games and then looking ahead to, hopefully, a more positive week. To do that, we're going to need a panel, so let's introduce today's. First up is Tim Robinson. Hi, Tim. Hi, Jim. Um, what's your overriding emotion from those two games, Tim? Um... Probably disappointment. Yeah, we'll get into that. I think that's uh, fairly shared around the crew faithful. Next up is Russ Fern. Hi, Russ. Hi, mate. How are you? Yeah. Uh, a little bit disappointed after the week, but, you know, yeah. we'll crack on. Now, according to your Twitter feed yesterday, Russ, um, it was a bit of a family affair, wasn't it? It was. It was. It was the, uh, the old boyfriend versus girlfriend's fat entire half of her dad's family. Derby, the first one we've had, and... Uh, She's got uh, three uncles, and it's, uh, I'm not looking forward to next time seeing them, put it that way. You can just be happy in the fact that we completely played them off the park, and it was just yeah. a fluky 1-0 win. Yeah, I got, we got a text from her nan saying, like, bragging about it, but we just sent back, look at the stats, crew it by far the better team. <laughs> that was the real quiz. Yeah. <laughs> uh, lastly, then, is Steve Hatton. Hi, Steve. Afternoon. How are you doing? Uh, yeah, uh, this is the second time this weekend that we've done a pod together. Indeed. How excited should people be for the upcoming episode with the as-yet-unnamed former player? Oh, massively, massively. It, I think we're talking the level of the Morse podcast here. Uh, it, he was fantastic and some really, really interesting snippets of information that he gave out, I believe, from the glory years. I know we're not allowed to say who it is, but from the glory years in the championship. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely, I'd say, the biggest name from playing football that we've had on so far. Absolutely. No disrespect to James Collins, but this guy managed more than the 12 games for Crew, didn't he? Yeah, just a few more. Yeah. Okay, then, so that's coming up. Let's start, then, with um, 
the games from this week. We'll start, as it seems fair, the Tuesday night game. 1-0 defeat at home league leaders Lincoln. It was going all right until about 30 seconds in, wasn't it, Tim? Yeah, that effort from uh, Monsma. Um, they came out immediately and hit the bar. That was uh, a bit of a rude awakening, wasn't it? Yeah, I, uh, I almost wasn't paying attention at that point. I was sort of writing down on my pad, making my notes, getting myself ready, and then all of a sudden, what was he, 30, 35 yards away? The dip, the swerve, it had yeah. everything. Yeah, he carried it about 15 yards as well. No one managed to get near him. And then um, it was one of those beautiful strikes that dipped really late. And, you know, Yaskaline wasn't miles off his line, but it was well over his head when it went past him. And then luckily it didn't quite dip enough to, to go in, but it was a bloody good strike. Well, so I've, in these notes that I'd make, I got, it took about 24 minutes for Crew to have an effort at goal before that was all Lincoln, wasn't it? Yeah, the um, that early shot we're talking about really set the set the pace for the starting of the game. Really, it's like big Lincoln have come into town where the big boys were going to have an effort from a centre back from thirty five yards, and then we're just going to try and play you off the field. They were they were faster, stronger. They they as you said, they controlled the the first twenty four ish minutes. To be fair, uh, very very impressive, really. Yeah, let's get on to the goal then, the Lincoln goal, Steve. It was all a bit easy in the end, wasn't it? After all that pressure. Um, yeah, I thought, I mean, I have to be honest, my experience of this game was possibly my worst eye follow experience of the season and it kept dropping in and out of it. But they, I just thought they, they were, they were better. We weren't at it and they were, they were better than us to be honest. And the goal was just, uh, was too easy really, wasn't it? I think question marks over the keeper. Um, you know, he's had some good games this year, but I'm, I'm not convinced. I think he should have been saving that shot mm. personally. Um, but yeah, they, they were better. We were a bit slack. I thought we let him get the shot off too easily as well. Not not the first time I've said that this season. Um, but I think the biggest question mark is on is on Will for that one, I'm afraid. Yeah, I'd, I'd definitely agree with that. I think Pete Morse in the commentary and Graham was saying that the keeper's not not had much chance with that and people were saying on Twitter. But I definitely feel like the keeper could do better with that. It was, it was across his body. It wasn't too far away from him. If his arm was a little bit higher up, he probably parries that, parries that around the post, to be honest. Okay, we don't think that Ryan Wintle's done too easy with that drop of the shoulder. Gives himself that bit of space. I do think, like like the Sims goal last week at Doncaster, it, he, our, our man was too easily beaten. I know it was a different player because it was Perry last week, but I just think he was too easily beaten from that front as well. We've got to be closing those a bit, a bit quicker. And I think we might be saying the same a little bit later when we talk about yesterday's game as well. Yeah, it was... For all of Lincoln's pressure, and, you know, let's not get away from this. They should have been beating us by then. It did feel a little bit deflating for me. That It's just a long ball, not dealt with. Wintle's not done well enough. Will's not done uh, well enough. There was a bit of a debate, like you guys have just said, on social media about who was to blame. But I think, Tim, would we say we're, they're both not going to be happy with that goal, Wintle and Will? Potentially. I mean, I, I didn't um, give as much blame to um, the goalkeeper as, as you guys did. I, th I thought it was more the defence in front of him that let him down. But I think, to be honest, it would be churlish to concentrate too much on that goal because they could have had any number before then. Mm. Uh, I thought they looked sharper, hungrier, fitter. Um, and sometimes you just got to give the opposition a lot of credit. Uh, you know, But I think the, um, the, the thing for that game that stood out for me was there was the congruence of our sloppiness and, and, and their efficiency. Um, I, I don't know if they're the best team in the division, but uh, that'd probably be um, saying a bit much at this stage. But they definitely looked the most well-drilled and the most purposeful team that I've seen so far. Um, so when we are a couple of levels below where we should be uh, on the same day, then it, was, it ended up being a very one-sided game and they should have scored more than the one that they did. Certainly at that stage. Yeah, they definitely should have had more than one in that first half, didn't they? They had that that one, that off, uh, I can't remember the big striker's name, headed it Hopper. off the post. Yeah, off the post from about three yards out, something like that. A couple of, flat, a couple of crosses flashed past the posts. It was um, it was coming, let's just say that. You know, we, we were a bit poor in the first half and they were, as, as Tim says, we were, they were really well drilled. They had that really high press, but then dropped back as well. And then when... They came out of the dropping back. There was like eight of them counter attacking at the same time. It was it was um, a bit like I use the analogy rabbits. What was it? Rabbits in headlights. Rabbits stuck in headlights. 
for our players. And I thought, you know, that, that sums it up pretty well, to be honest. I think they've, they've, they've recruited really well in the summer. But I think what's quite interesting is they've, they've obviously, Jonas, I believe, has played every game for them. Yet if he was with us, he possibly wouldn't even be guaranteed a starting spot, which I think says a lot about the quality we, we do have in those midfield areas. Yeah, playing slightly different role for them, isn't he? He's slightly ahead of where he used to play for Crew, um, just off the striker. Um, but yeah, that that uh, well drilledness that you just mentioned, guys, uh, something they picked up on commentary when we had the ball, they were quite happy to let Offord and Beckles have it. But as soon as we tried to um, p- pass it further up the field or advance, then that they sort of swarmed on them, didn't they? And um, I think it was Pete Morse on commentary was saying that was the. The tactic they counterattack, like Russ has just said, and then they drop back, and that was their rest time. Whilst we had the ball at the back, and then they went and won it back. I would say, yeah, for me, probably the best drilled team we've seen this season, um, possibly the best going forward as well. They did a clever thing by sticking Hopper on Offord as well, because obviously there's a superior height difference there, superior build difference, superior um, experience difference as well. But Offord handled himself very well in that regards. But the more Hopper's, Hopper's on offered, the less off times Offord's going to be able to spray the ball out the back, which leaves Omar Beckles, who had a bit of a turgid time with his distribution, definitely. Is that something that we're thinking teams are doing deliberately? Because in all fairness to Beckles, and I think he is a great defender, he doesn't quite have the same passing range as most, if not all of the other outfield players, even Will uh, in that crew team, does he? I thought, I mean, again, I know this isn't, we're going to probably talk about this game shortly, but I thought his passing yesterday, he seemed a bit steadier and he seemed a, a less rash than I'd seen before. And, you know, they, they obviously didn't press very high yesterday whatsoever. But I thought Beckles looked, looked quite decent on the ball yesterday. The best I thought I'd, I'd seen him so far. He didn't give it away too much like he has done previously. It felt as if, if he, the first pass he makes in the game, if it's a dodgy one, the first. Um, forward pass if, if it's a bad one then he sort of might lose his confidence or something like that and then he's overthinking it and in these situations he's trying to force it maybe a little bit too much if he can get that first pass off perfectly then he sort of calms himself into the game and then he can spray the ball about Moving on to the second half then um, I've got down the biggest event for probably the first 20 minutes was Will's double save is that fair? From what I saw as I say my coverage dropping in and out I'd agree it was a great save but I can't really think of anything else of note. They they were in charge. We were huffing and puffing, but not much else seemed to happen from my in and out experience of the game. So then, Tim, a bit of a change then. About 20 minutes, 25 minutes to go. Porter and Powell come on for Ainley and Dale. We changed to a 4-4-2, hitting it long to the big men. Um, it made crew a lot more threatening, didn't it? It did. It did, yeah. Um we, I think the key thing was that yeah, the formation change. We also massively upped the intensity. I, I don't think the quality necessarily improved, but we upped the speed. We we were getting amongst them. We weren't giving them any time to breathe, um, and we were fighting for every every scrappy ball. And it was it, those twenty last twenty minutes were the best we looked all night. And it's quite unusual to see a team starting to flap when we go long because normally you wouldn't expect that that sort of approach would suit our players but it seemed to I think we had them worried it would have been a downright scandal if we'd have got anything from that game to be honest but it was it was nice to see us trying something different I mean it's not really an approach that I'm overly keen for us to adopt in future but you know at least we've got a, a plan b or hopefully it'll be a plan C, D or E um, rather than a plan B in future. But um, yeah, it was, it was something interesting and different. And it was actually the, uh, the most uncomfortable they looked all night. Yeah, I'd, I'd definitely reiterate what Tim said there, to be fair. I think I was sat watching that last 20-odd minutes and thinking, hang on, we've got a plan B here and an effective one. Because it actually, it, it did change the game in a way. They were still comfortable, of course, but we created more chances we troubled them a lot more using that long ball tactics. And if that got us a point, then that got us a point. We, As a crew, we love to watch these free-flowing passing football like we did in the Ipswich game that we'll get onto in a minute. But 
for the last 20 minutes, if we're losing or we're struggling or we need to open the game up a bit more, if we can hit it long and work off that, then I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Yeah, ultimately though, I mean, it, as more threatening as it looked, crew were going to maybe create a chance. It didn't come. Um, I don't think we can probably feel hard done by, but then I say that fully in the knowledge of what happened on Saturday afternoon. Uh, football isn't really fair, is it? Let's move on then to the Ipswich game. Um, now, I'm pretty philosophical when it comes to the Alex. I've been watching them and following them from you know, near and far for 30 years now. Uh, normally, I can let poor results wash over me. Uh, that's the sort of result, though, that still feels like a, a punch in the gut, doesn't it, Steve? Yeah, it was... It, it, I have to be honest, it became inevitable to me. But partway through that first half, I thought... I know how this ends up. And one of my mates who was he's not a crew fan, but he's been to watch him a few times with me, he knew we were on top. And he sent me a text that simply said, you'll let a goal in from a badly defended set piece and lose this 1-0. And lo and behold, we let a goal in from a badly defended set piece. So in the end, it, it felt inevitable. The, the way we were in control, the way we were frishing away chances, I thought, I have seen this script before. I know how this... It didn't make it any better and I was still very very distressed and bitter at the end of it but almost the writing was on the wall I thought from the way we were playing and the way we weren't converting those chances I thought I'd been here before. Russ you're a little bit younger um, as we've made clear before um, but even you must have felt that that was at half time we were going to lose that game 1-0 yeah. no matter how many times we played it. We've, um, me and my dad and my sister are all season ticket holders and we've got a group chat and we, we said at half time this is, this is going to be a classic crew batter them the entire time lose 1-0 and absolutely just throw it all away and lo and behold that's exactly what happened um, it, was, it was telegraphed it was absolutely telegraphed I think um, Stevens there like, has summed up pretty well like, it was just so obvious that it was going to happen because we were making all these chances we were cutting them open they looked flabbergasted anytime Owen Dale and Charlie Kirk got the ball Pickering was running the show Winter was spraying ball, these balls around and then when you don't challenge the keeper enough it was so obvious that Ipswich are just going to go up and score and then sit back and defend and deep and we're not going to get anything So what was the problem then Tim why did we go in nil-nil at half time uh, well, we didn't take our chances. But for, funnily enough, just like just like Steve and Russ there, in our uh, group, in our WhatsApp chat, we were saying, we've seen this episode before. We're going to lose this 1-0 from a, from, a, from a dodgy free kick. So um, that's that's the full house for us there. We all oh, saw I mean, that. I can add that. I, I messaged my friends and once Ipswich scored, I said, I might as well turn this off. This is going to finish 1-0. So yeah, I think we're all, all four of us are in the same situation there. <laughs> But yeah, well, you're, you're you're completely right. Um, we we sh we should have scored. We should have been well out of sight. Um, the, the offered chance from the Pickering free kick, where he's just got to get a little oh. scrape on it past the keeper. I mean, the keeper's actually kind of made it a decent save in the end. But any sort of touch, and that's a goal. And then the Lowry chance from what I thought was probably our best move of the season. Um, Kirk and Pickering and then Lowry and then sprayed over to Dale and Dale um, knocked it into Lowry first time. Um, it was it was very similar to the chance at Doncaster where he missed yeah. from five yards out and hit and hit the keeper when it seemed harder to uh, miss than score. And yeah, those are two of the best chances you'll you'll get. And for us not to take either of them, it just felt you you know you, you'd seen the episode before, you knew what was coming. But the interesting thing for me was Ipswich just completely played into our hands. Um, they obviously hadn't watched the Sunderland or the Lincoln or the Blackpool or even the Doncaster games where teams had pressed us and we'd struggled. They just backed off, um, let us have the ball effectively and we absolutely took them to the cleaners for 75% of the pitch. And then in that final 25%, we either just didn't quite have the final pass or when we did, and it was on a plate for someone, we couldn't stick it in the net. In what was more galling for me, I've got to be, although he made some saves, that goalkeeper, I was not convinced by him. He was cumbersome. He was flapping. I, I don't. I don't even think he was that great. But somehow he just managed to get his massive six foot eight frame in the way. But he did not convince me. Uh, there's the header in the second half, which wasn't a great header, and he sort of flapped at that and pushed it out. 
I just thought, I can't believe we're making him look this good by not managing to get anything past him. Yeah, I'd say I probably agree with that, Steve. The fact they haven't conceded a home goal this season, I, I don't see how that's true. I, I, I agree with Tim. They, they clearly hadn't done any homework. And I thought, why are they just standing off us and letting us pick them apart like this? And at no point did, did Lambert make an attempt to change it. And I thought, we can all see what's going on. I'm amazed that, that a manager of his experience didn't make them press up a little bit more, to be honest. Um, a couple of things then from the game. I don't really like talk about referees. Um, I, if I'm being brutally honest, I find talking about referees quite boring. But it is quite interesting when crew get Trevor Kettle just to listen to Pete Morse uh, to see at what point in the game he starts to lose his faith, maybe, in the referee doing a good job. I took it as 38 minutes yesterday with Trevor Kettle until that kick from Edwards. Is a kick a right word or is that overstating it a little bit on offered? Technically, he could have gone off because he got booked in the second half. Um, and really, that, that petulant little dig at Offord was probably a, probably a yellow. And I believe he got a yellow in the last quarter of an hour as well. Um, so really, he should have gone from two yellows. But of course, Kettle didn't bother. Um, and then the other thing that I think we should probably mention is Ryan Wintle, 100th consecutive league appearance for Crew. That's quite some achievement, isn't it, Russ? He is my favourite Crew player of all time, which isn't a big statement because I've watched David Fox and Adam King in midfield, but he's just, he, when we moved to that four, three, three and he became the, the bottom of that midfield, everything's clicked and he's got the players to his right and the players to his left. And they've got then their wingers on the outside of them. And it's, he just pulls every single string in that midfield when he's on form, which is to be fair, most of the time he's, he's the most important crew player. I'd, if we had to lose one of uh, our, well, five of the six young core players we've got, I, I would keep him out of all the rest of them. I think you've just invented a new award there, Ross. What was it? Well, you've got, you've got the rear of the year award, and I think you've just invented the bottom of the crew midfield award. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, Tim and Steve, imagine being a crew fan and having Ryan Winters, the best centre mid, and never seeing Kenny Lunt or Danny Murphy playing for a crew midfield. Yeah. That's the world. Yeah. Don't, don't forget Neil Sorville. That's true. Uh, Neil Sorville was one of the first numbers and names I had on the back of my shirt. The people in the club shop didn't believe me when I said I wanted Sorville and 17 <laughs> on the back. <laughs> John Guffrey 3 is the only uh, name and number I've got on my back of one of my shirts. I've still got my Sorville shirt. Um, I got him to sign it. And uh, my brother made me wear it on my stag do, and everyone was mightily annoyed to find out it still fit me relatively well. <laughs> Pride of place, I've got a, a one that says Cram 30, official match-worn shirt. Pride um, of place. Amazing. Is this before or after he kicked the ball at Dario's head? Um, this may have been before we kicked the ball at Dario's. <laughs> all, got, all got chased across Reese's by a bunch of angry bookies or any of the other scandalous rumours <laughs> about him. <laughs> Okay. Um, are we finished with the Ipswich game then, guys? Do we are we going to talk about their goal? Do we have to, Tim? In the, uh, in the scenario, in, in the genre of uh, dominating a game and then conceding a stupid goal, that was a pretty good one. Um, you know, we, we lost the ball through Perry cutting inside. And if, if League One football analysts haven't earmarked that as Perry's one trick for getting around an opponent by now, then, um, well, you know, he's, he's got away with it successfully for about three years and now it seems to be catching up with him. But yeah, he lost it. Then we switched off for the short corner um, and we allowed a six-foot-five man to win it on the edge of our six-yard box for, for the second time in about three minutes, by the way, because Jaskolainen had saved one just before that. Um, and yeah, this time he had no chance. But what a, I think you said a, a punch in the gut that was. Yeah, it's, uh, it is becoming a bit of a problem, isn't it, with Perry? He's losing that ball most games, doing that same one trick, dropping that shoulder. And these players, they're not buying it like League Two players did. I think people have got onto him. Yeah, I was going to say, he's, um, he's not had a... It's a strange one, so I don't think he's had a bad season, but he's just 
I think he's. I think Pete Morse mentioned this in commentary. Everyone else has now caught up to the speed of League One. I think Wintle struggled that that first game or so, but Perry hasn't quite made that transition yet. I think, and he's he's still thinking he can do things where people are a yard quicker and a yard wiser, and he's getting caught. And that was a a prime example of it yesterday. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd say he's for me probably been the most disappointing out of those five six players that uh, Russ just mentioned. Um, this season so far, but that doesn't mean to say he's not going to change it, pull it around. Um, should we just talk about the strikers then, or striker? Uh, it's been a while since we scored a goal. You know, two blanks this week. It's been a while since Mandron scored a goal. Should we be worried? I just, I think what what worries me is his link-up play is great, but actually, do we ever provide him? with an opportunity to score. I don't think we actually put anything in for him to actually feel he could score from yesterday. And he's, he's doing a lot of work with his back to goal, but he never seems to be getting any service where it actually counts, other than the cross that he volleyed in against Blackpool. I think it's probably the last clear-cut chance he's had, maybe. There's a bit of chat on social media as well that his replacement, Chris Porter, probably isn't up to it playing League One football at 36. Is that fair, Russ? Um, yeah, possibly. I don't understand why Zanzala's not had a chance yet. He was banging him in in pre-season. He's banging him in for the under-23s. Uh, are we playing Porter out of loyalty almost? As in, like, we've kept you around. We've, not, we've, we've offered you a new contract. You've shown loyalty to stay and help us out. So we're going we're gonna to play you. Um, he, didn't, he didn't look up to it against Ipswich. He looked a little bit off the pace. He had a couple couple of minimal half chances against Lincoln when we started hitting along and he, he took that one off Ryan Wintle's head that if he'd left it, um, Wintle almost had a free header at the back post in the 98th or whatever minute. It just, he's not got the link-up play that Mandron's got and Steve's right by saying we don't provide him with any chance, Mandron with any chances because our final ball, we, we can pass it around on the edge of the area beautifully when it actually comes to whipping a crossing or or shooting at any point, really. Um, it's just not there at the at this moment. Uh, Powell just gets into the area and then slashes across and in any direction. Owen Dale's fin- um, final product's not quite there either. But when it comes to Porter, would I play Zanzala ahead of him? Possibly, yes. Is Zanzala um, stuck at the minute? Because I think Dave Artel's got it in his head that he's more of a winger than a striker at the moment. And it seems like we've got into a situation where it's Dale for Powell or Powell for Dale every game. And there's nowhere for Zanzala to come on because Charlie Kirk doesn't really come off games. Is that a problem that he's got, Tim? Yeah, I think it is. Um, for, for me, Zanzala, yeah, you know, I've not seen a huge amount of him, to be honest. But my, un- my understanding is that he's best either in a front two or playing off a big man on the wide, one of the wide positions in a three. So you kind of think his best chance of getting game time for us is either as a replacement for Charlie Kirk, which doesn't happen very often, or when we do go to a front two, like we did for the last 20 minutes of the Lincoln game, him being one of those two. So the fact that Porter's getting an opportunity, even in those circumstances, is is quite worrying. Um, And I suspect that he won't get game time in the foreseeable future unless we unless we change the formation it, I think it'd be quite brave to have him as the front man of a, of a three because he's I don't think he's, the, he's a target man he's not going to hold up play certainly not to the extent that Mandron does I think he's probably going to have to keep banging him in for the reserves and knocking on the door because I don't, I don't see how he gets game time at the moment personally in, in uh, Tim, if, when we were in that situation as we were on Saturday with, with Ipswich, who would you have actually put on, Zanzala or Porter? Um, I'd probably have put Porter on. Uh, I think Zanzala's a, a, a sort of still an unknown quantity. And I think rolling that dice would be exciting. I think that's what it is, especially with people on social media. He's the, the unknown, the X factor. So rather than we know what we're going to get with Chris Porter, Zanzala, we've all got in our mind, he's going to come on, he's going to score a hat-trick and we're Mm. going to win the game. Uh, We might find out the reality is slightly different to that. I don't know, but that is, you know, part of what being a fan is about. You can dream, can't you? I just, I don't think 36-year-old Chris Porter, for all of his qualities, 
he doesn't strike me as an impact sub. I don't think he would change the game significantly, but I, I agree that Zanzal is seen as this great hope, but I, I don't know what he's really capable of. He, I think he's come on previously and run around like a headless chicken. Um, but I get that people want to give him a go because we know what Porto can offer. Um, and I'm, I'm not convinced he, he's really a, a great sub to bring on at that point in the game. Just last point, really. Charlie Kirk, we mentioned um, Perry. Charlie Kirk constantly cutting in inside. I just think, and I know he's got this great link up with Pickering, but I just think sometimes could we not swap him and Dale or Powell over so they're on different wings so at least the fullback has got a different challenge because that uh, right back for Ipswich must have thought, this is great I know he's going to do, he's going to cut inside every time and I know that creates the space for Pickering but I just think in the last quarter of an hour, let's do something different, let's mix it up, get them to swap wings so we're actually doing something a bit different they do this. They do swap the wings. They did it on against Lincoln, but they did it when we didn't have the ball and Lincoln were on control on top and controlling the game. So it, it had no effect whatsoever. If we did it, as you say, when we're actually on top and it provides a different challenge. If that left back's been run ragged by Owen Dale the entire game, give him Kirk because Kirk's a very different player and Kirk gets a bit of space maybe and put a ball in and it's going to change the game almost. Okay, so. As ever, this weekend, the women's team had a fixture as well. They were away at Wigan. Here's how they got on. Okay, so I'm here with uh, Lauren Cooper after a thrilling 6-1 victory over Wigan. Uh, so we'll just start with, uh, what, what's your, what do you think about the game? What, what went well? Um, put the girls played superbly, took our chances very well. Um, they were quite a physical side, Wigan, and we thought we stood up to them. Didn't let them push us over, which sometimes we can do. Um, some fantastic finishes as well from the forwards. Okay, and uh, you stepping up and wearing the armband today, uh, how did that go, do you think? Um, I thought it was well, went well. The girls supported me all the way. You know, um, doesn't really make any difference to my game. Still play, play my game and lead from the back and just hope that the girls can follow on. Okay, and then um, finally, it was a cold and wet day. Did that change anything? Uh, the pitch was a bit boggy. We got a bit got a bit wet towards the end, but I thought we still played some really nice football, played some lovely one twos, and like I said, the finishes in and around the box were superb. Okay, thank you very much, and congratulations. Okay, so that's this week out of the way. Then uh, let's move on to what will hopefully be a better week. We have a league game Tuesday night at home to Gillingham before a cup game against Bolton on Saturday. Let's start with, the, uh, with Gillingham then. They're currently on a five-game losing streak. They're just below the Alex in the table. This one should give us more of an indication of where the Alex really are, shouldn't it, Tim? I hate Steve Evans. Just want to put that out there. He's a horrible man. He's a horrible manager. He's a horrible team. He's got the worst complexion in football. He's got the worst style of play in football. Um, I, I, I saw them a few weeks back. I saw them beat Oxford uh, 3-1. And... Samuel and Oliver looked a real handful every time the ball went up to them. And Oxford just couldn't... I don't think they had many defenders at that point, but they just couldn't deal with them. But then, since then, as you say, they've lost five on the trot. Well, not only that, they've lost five on the trot without scoring. Um, so that's, that's good. They're in horrendous form. But, and, and for our point, we've not actually conceded more than one goal in any league game since the opening day, which is the longest run of anyone in the division. So... Um, they're in terrible form. We're in pretty good form, certainly defensively. So I think we all know what happens here, don't we? Nil nil. One nil defeat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Vidane Oliver, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it is the return of Vidane Oliver. Um, he's got, fair to say, a system built around him playing in a Steve Evans team, hasn't it? Uh, how important do you think he's going to be on Saturday, Steve? He did quite well for Northampton last year. I think their fans were really, really impressed of him and he, he was crucial for them and that promotion. And we know how Evans plays and he's got that focal point of Oliver. And he does, he wins a lot of headers. And to be fair, when he played for us, he won a lot of headers. It's just none of them were ever in a threatening position. And I just think with him, I think Samuel's quite a big lad as well. If Daniels is fit, I just think maybe Offords had a brilliant season, don't get me wrong, but the sheer physicality of that front two might mean that we, we need a Beckles-Daniels partnership just because we know what we're going to get. They're going to be sticking it up there 
right down right in the mixer i think we might need a bit more strength and solidity in the middle um well, rather than what offered provides okay bold bold choice uh there to drop offered i think you're in the minority of crew fans there steve Pure, purely, we, we saw him get out muscled for Hawkins on a couple of occasions for Ipswich, and Jill ain't going to do that 50 times more. I just think it's horses for courses for me, and you need a bit more physicality in there against an Evans team. Um, before we move on then, uh, Russ, Steve, either of you care to offer a bit of balance to Steve, uh, Steve Evans? No, he's an arsehole. <laughs> <laughs> Russ? No. Okay. One word. No. Okay. Um, so as ever, it's time for our view from the opposition. This week, I spoke to Lewis to give us the rundown from the Gillingham perspective. Hi, Lewis. Thanks for coming on. Hi, uh, no worries. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me on. Now, um, we normally have someone on from a club's podcast. Now, as far as I'm aware, Lewis, you're not affiliated with a podcast for Gillingham, are you? No, no, no podcast. No podcast from my end. But this is definitely not your first time talking about Gillingham, though. No, no, no. I'll, t- I'll talk about Gillingham all day. So, yeah, far away. <laughs> journalist, is that right? Yep, yeah, yeah. I'm a journalist covering Gillingham. Been lucky to um, go to the games when fans aren't allowed. So, I'm quite a privileged position there. But, uh, yeah, Gillingham fan as well. So, pretty good stuff. Yeah, good stuff. I think there's plenty of uh, people jealous that you're actually going to games listening at the moment then. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, how's the season been going for Gillingham? Well, it's um, it's only been I think it's ten games, but it's been um, well, a season of two halves really. I think after five games, we'd won three, drawn one, and lost one, and we're the fourth in the table. Um, and we've lost literally lost our last five, and we've not scored a goal. So it's been literally a tale of two halves really. Um, I'm really hoping that, of course, no offense to you guys, but I'm really hoping that we can get something out of Tuesday's game because six in a row wouldn't be wouldn't be perfect. Um, we've been playing okay. Um, We've been outplayed by a couple of teams. We beat Oxford, um, who were struggling. We beat them 3-1. Didn't play, didn't play our best, but Oxford, obviously, like I say, they're struggling. Um, we got outplayed by MK Dons, who at the time were bottom of the league. That started our terrible run of form. But we've had patches against Fleetwood. We've played a few good teams. We've played Fleetwood, Portsmouth, Sunderland. Um, we've had patches of good form. Um, we literally just can't find the net, which is really puzzling me because we've got some decent strikers. Um, Dominic Samuel... Dan Oliver know where the goal is. Um, John Akinde hasn't had the best Gillingham career, but every sort of lower league football fan knows that he's a he's a renowned goal scorer. So, yeah, literally we've 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 created chances. Our defence hasn't been brilliant, um, but we literally just can't put the ball in the net, and that's really what's contributed to our poor on the form. Um, so, what sort of football should we be expecting? Obviously, a fairly well-known manager. He's got his style. Is it a Steve Evans team down in uh, Kent? Oh yeah, definitely. He's bought in. Everyone knows that knows Steve Evans knows he likes to play about a bit in the transfer market. Um, he changed pretty much everything last season when he came in, and he's like exactly the same this season. Um, I counted yesterday on the pitch um, out of our starting eleven, there were nine new players from the summer, so it's completely his team. Um, he signed fifteen players in the transfer window. In terms of the style of football, um, we were playing four-two-three-one, um, but since Jacob Mellis has unfortunately been ruled out for the season. Um, he was our sort of luxury number 10. We don't really have a replacement for him, naturally. So we've sort of switched to a 4-4-2. Um, Alex McDonald picked up a red card against Sunderland, so he won't be playing, which may force us to change formation again. But at the minute, it is literally a 4-4-2. A lot of people would sort of associate Steve Evans with long ball football, um, playing um, for Dane Oliver up top, who pretty much wins everything in the air. Dominic Samuel isn't the smallest guy, and of course, we've got John Akinde to come on as well. So... There are a few long balls. Um, Jordan Graham is a brilliant talent. Um, he's by far our best player um, out wide. He will literally try and take on the fullbacks. Um, I know at Crew, you've got a good set of fullbacks, but Jordan Graham will always look to hit the byline and get crosses into the box. And I say eight times out of ten, it's a decent cross. So uh, expect a lot of crosses into the box, um, a few long balls as well. But at the same time, Evans is happy to play when he can. It's not completely long ball football, but um, most of it will sort of be uh, in the air, I'd assume. Excellent. So you've sort of started talking about the uh, the next question then about which players could stand out. You've just said we uh, you're missing Jacob Mellis, uh, and obviously crew fans know about Vidane Oliver. Is there anyone else um, we should look out for? Have you basically covered that there? Yeah, no. Jordan Graham, like I say, is our best player. Um, unfortunately, missed a penalty against Sunderland, but um, every time he gets the ball, looks like something's going to happen. Uh, a lot of the stuff will come from the side he's on, whether it's down the right. 
uh, linking up with Brian Jackson or down the left, um, whether that be Conor Ogilvy or Zach Medley at left back. But yeah, pretty much everything goes through Jordan Graham. Um, it's a weird one saying he's our best player because we've literally not scored in five games. So it's weird to say that our best player is going forward, but um, he's a real talent. Um, Dominic Samuel as well, um, sort of an established championship striker, scored a brace on his debut, his second debut. I had him on loan a few years ago, but um, has struggled in front of goal since, but he's dangerous. Um, last season, I would have said that our two best players were Jack Tucker and Conor Ogilvy, who are both still here. Um, currently, Ogilvy is more naturally a left-back at the minute, but currently partnering Tucker in central defence. But since Max Aim has gone, we've struggled a bit at the back as well. Um, but yeah, no, I'll definitely say Jordan Graham is the one to watch um, from a crew perspective in terms of any Gillingham danger. Great. Thanks for that, Lewis. Um, yeah, really informative. Um, before I let you go, we have got a quiz that friend of the pod, Luke's made. Are you keen to have a go? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, question one is multiple choice. How many times have the two teams met competitively? Is it A, 37, B, 49, or C, 58? Um, I don't think it is the first one. I think that's too low. Um, what was the second option? Sorry. 49. Yeah, I'll go for 49. Okay, that is one out of one. It is 49. Get him. Um, so, out of those 49 games, who has the upper hand? Is it Crew or Gillingham? Um, I've perhaps cheated a bit here. Not, not cheated, but I've done my preview already and I know that it's Crew. <laughs> yeah, it is Crew. Uh, 22 wins, uh, 19 Gillingham wins and 8 draws. Now, Luke, when he sent me these over, he assured me this is the first time Crew has been the answer for this question all season. So, right. read into that what you want. <laughs> Uh, number three, when did we last play each other and what happened? Um, last play each other. I'm trying to think when when you guys were last in League One. Um, I'll, go, I'll go with Gillingham win because you, you would have been relegated that year. 20, I'll go 2016. Okay, uh, spot on. Gillingham double, yeah. 2015, 2016. Uh, it was 1-0 at Gresty Road and 3-0 down in Kent uh, that season. So, yeah, uh, three, three out of three so far. Decent. Take that. I've <laughs> uh, got two questions left. They're both focused on players who've played for both teams. First up, we've already mentioned him, Verdane Oliver. Uh, which non-league side did Crew sign him from? Oh, non-league side. See, I want to say... Crawley, but I don't know if they were in the league at that point. Um, I'll go for oh, who's he played? I'll go for York. I'm trying to think who he's played for. Okay, it's neither of them, I'm afraid. It's Lincoln, uh, 2013 season, 2012. He's even played for Crawley, is he? <laughs> uh, I'm not that aware, no. <laughs> I might be miles off there. Yeah. <laughs> I know he's played for York, so yeah, that was a better guess. Uh, last question then another striker played for both teams, Mika Mandron. Can you name the three countries that he's eligible to play for if he ever gets that chance? Uh, France. Yep. Um, oh, England. Yep. Um, the other one, Lewis, I'll give you a clue. He has played for their under-20s before. Yeah, I was going to say, I know he's played for another country at youth level. I think it's a, a team in the United Kingdom. Um, I'll, I'll go for Scotland. Is it Scotland? Yeah, three out of three. Nice one. Decent. So, yeah, you did, uh, for saying you were quite nervous about taking part, you did all right on that, Lewis. Yeah, I didn't go anywhere as bad as I thought it was going to go. <laughs> so, so, I'll take that result, yeah. Um, so, one last thing before I let you go. Can I get your prediction for Tuesday night? Yeah, I, I, I can't predict another Gillingham blank, um, but it's also really hard to predict a win. So, um I'll go for a one or draw and I'll take it as well because I think you guys obviously just come up last year but I think you're a really decent team. I've got a lot of respect for crew. Um, I like a lot of your players and I'll take a one or draw so I'll go for, I'll go for one all. Excellent. Thanks a lot for coming on, Lewis. No worries at all. Thank you for having me on. Next up then, uh, it's a team that we seem to be destined to play at every opportunity this season, despite the fact we're not in the same league as them. We had a pre-season game, then we had an EFL trophy game, and now we've got the FA Cup. Um, it also seems like these games are becoming more and more serious in the, uh, in the competition. There's a possibility we're not going to be allowed to watch this one. It doesn't really look as though anyone thought about the schedule until the TV companies came out with which games they were going to show. 
how confident are you going to, you're going to be able to watch it, Russ? Pretty confident, to be fair. Um, they said, Crude put out the other day that they're working with the relevant people to try and get it, get it shown. There's a huge amount of money to be had across the entire FA Cup round and then the next round and the round after that for club, for not only clubs but also the FA and all the relevant people there so I think they'd be they'd be pretty stupid to not not get some way to stream it live so we've seen Bolton like I said a couple of times this season well pre-season and EFL uh, trophy what should we expect Tim well I think they're a club and a manager that are really feeling the pressure they got beat 4-0 at the weekend at Leighton Orient and Ian Everett came out the week before and slagged off their 20-year-old keeper in the press and told him to man up. Um, statements he, he later clarified and said he, I think he actually apologised for it and said he, he, you know, he should have used different language, but the, the message was the same. Um, to me, you never come out and slag off your players in public like that. Um, I, to me, I think he's, he's out of his depth. I think he's really feeling the pressure. You know, they were favourites at the start of the division, the start of the season for the division, and they're really, really struggling. I, I think a little bit like Gillingham, we're probably playing them at a good time, albeit they've got another game on Tuesday, I think, in between us recording yeah. this and uh, us actually playing them. They've got so, Mansfield you know, at home. Win. Yeah, so they'll probably win that 5-0 and everything I've just said will be completely uh, <laughs> wrong. But, yeah, I, I, th- I, think we'll, I think we'll beat Gillingham. I think we'll... Um, I think we'll be Bolton as well. Okay. Um, Steve, should we be going out to win this? You know, it's the FA Cup, magic of the cup and all those things we're told every year. Or should we be looking at the fact that if we lose, we've got a Saturday at the end of November where we can have a game off after playing Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday for five weeks? I'm, I'm torn really because the prize money would come in very handy. But, you know, having, having a plum draw in the third round, should we get to it? doesn't really have much allure at the moment because I doubt any of us would go to it. Maybe if we were at home against a big club, we might get a TV date. Um, so I'm, I'm torn really between thinking, yeah, it's really important and actually thinking this year, is it really worth the effort um, with the lack of fans and things involved? So uh, I am undecided at the moment as to uh, what we should do in terms of a squad um, and what sort of team we should put out, to be honest. That one surely is one for the Zanzala people on social media for him to get a run out. Yeah, him and Dave Richards and co definitely need a run out maybe. Uh, A question I don't know the answer to. If they draw on Saturday, when is the replay? No replays. So it's straight to extra time penalties or straight to penalties? Extra time and penalties, I think. Okay, thanks. I couldn't find any information about that online. So thank you, Tim. Yeah, I think they're up, they're selling them all of the FA Cup games on the day this time. No replays for the whole tournament, I think. Yeah. Certainly for the first couple of rounds. Last thing then for Bolton. Let's hope for their groundsman's sake that the crew players don't pack their long studs this time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for anyone who's not on Twitter, we do have a few people who listen who aren't on Twitter. Do you want to explain that? There was a rather grumpy tweet, wasn't there, after um, the... the- the EFL trophy game where I think the groundsman or someone got really shirty because the crew players had warmed down just by the side of the pitch and had churned it up dreadfully. And clearly that, that little area off the pitch was going to have a massive impact on things for Bolton. It's probably, it's probably why they keep losing 4-0, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, it did seem quite an over-the-top reaction. That uh, He seemed genuinely furious that the crew players had dared to warm down just off the pitch um, but anyway I felt I felt a bit of sympathy for him I have to say I, you know they were doing like high intensity warm downs on what's on one fixed area and churning it up you know just a bit unnecessary I thought okay. have you got a lovely lawn at home Tim <laughs> <laughs> if I did have a lawn it would be the neatest lawn in the street but I don't uh, that oh. is that is Hate Steve Evans, love groundsman. That's uh, Tim Robinson there. <laughs> <laughs> that's my motto. <laughs> Don't get him started on things he hates again this week, Steve. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> right, let's move on. Right, I haven't got a Bolton fan for this game, so we'll move straight on to predictions. Um, Tim and Steve, you were both on last week. You both predicted a Lincoln win and a crew win at Ipswich. So one point for the Lincoln game. 
that makes some pretty interesting PPG reading because Steve, I said I'd look at yours with the correct Blackpool result. So you're on six points from six games. Pretty easy yep. PPG maths. Tim, cool. Rather interestingly, you're on seven points from seven games. So that puts the two of you at the top in a three-way tie with Aaron, although I'm not sure you could say he's slightly cheated because he's currently joint top with one point from one game. Uh, Russ, I'm afraid you have some catch- Love the nightmare. You have three points from seven games. That's a PPG of 0.42. So mm. still in it, but you need some good results. So let's start with you, Russ. Gillingham at home. Gillingham at home. Steve Evans for Dane Oliver will go. I've gone 1 1 for every result in the last two weeks, it feels. So I want to say 1 1, but I'm not going to because my dad keeps telling me off. So I'm going to go 1 0 crew. 1 0 crew. Okay, Steve. Uh, the Dane Oliver Derby, crew 3, Gillingham 2. 3 2. Wow. Goals galore there. You know, neither team have yeah. scored for weeks, Steve, yeah? <laughs> I'm aware of that. They've, they've got two big centre-forwards, set-pieces, goals galore. Cool. Okay. Tim? We can never be relied upon to keep a clean sheet in these games, ever. I'm going crew two, Gillingham nil. Okay. Uh, <laughs> fine. There's some good logic going on here today, guys. <laughs> Uh, let's go reverse order then. Bolton, Tim. We might make a couple of changes. I'm going for a one-all draw settled on penalties. Crew to go through. Okay, I'll just put you down for 1-1 one, one after 90 minutes. Who Bonus point if crew win on penalties. Yeah, fine. Steve. Um, if Everett gets the sack, 1-1 one, one draw. If he doesn't get the sack, um, Bolton nil, crew two. Which one am I putting down, Steve? Um, uh, is he going to get the sack? They're rubbish on it. Let's go nil two to crew. Okay, Mansfield are rubbish as well, so they might win on Tuesday. But they got a new manager, haven't they? Now Mansfield, so they probably yeah. win that. Fair. Okay, Russ, last one then. I'm going to match Tim and go one one because Tim's good at this game and I'm not, so I'm just going to copy all those results. <laughs> <He's> lucky, <laughs> that's what I am. Lucky. <laughs> He's as good as Steve. Uh, joint well, yeah, like I can't see us keeping a clean sheet fair enough right I think that will do us for today then um, I'm aware that we've had slightly longer episodes than normal the last few weeks uh, we've got our special episode coming out this week as well so it's probably a good time to call it a day so as ever Tim, Steve and Russ thank you thank you very much thank you thank you uh, thank you all for listening make sure you check your podcast feeds on Thursday morning like I say special episode you won't want to miss it until then goodbye